0: Hey, welcome to E-Crime Bites Season 1, Episode 20. Ah, I can't believe it. Episode 20. And I'm going to tell you, we had some two-parters in there. So if we did it at, real episode-wise, we'd probably be up to like 26. 25-ish. Yeah. yeah. So this episode is going to be a rundown of our Season 1. And we just arbitrarily made the seasons a half year long. Um, just because usually people go on vacation in the summers here in the U S. And then they also go on vacation in the winters near new years. And they just seem like great times to roll the numbers over. So that was my logic. So let's start with our rundown and I want, I'm going to assume that not everybody has listened to every episode that we produced so far. So let me give you the names of the 20, actually the 19 episodes up to this point. The first one we started with was The Community, and that was a two-parter. The Community was a sim-swapping attack crime that we discussed in length. The second one... Yeah, I think it was more like
1: a a hillbilly Ocean's (laughs) Eleven.
0: Yep, and the second one was A Swatting Gets Deadly, and we picked that one because the swatting or the process of sending law enforcement to someone's house using a false pretense of a suicide or shooting or something like that it actually involved someone being killed and that was the interesting aspect of that case we then switched gears into just violence violence as a service with a gentleman named pat the bat and we have a couple videos that we'll talk about when we get to pat the bat section in this review that was really interesting in that that episode that Seth and I have cracked jokes on pretty much every episode since then. And then we had episode four, which is the Twitter hack. And that kind of set this stage. It was a more of a generic hack where there was a group of people involved. And we talked about that hack, but there was an individual that kind of, we went on a tangent on and that was episode five. And his name was Plug Walk Joe and Plug Walk Joe, not only, got involved with the Twitter hack, but he got involved with a whole bunch of other stuff, including swatting a minor and saying some pretty horrible stuff to her. Well, I will say, this is fresh news. Plug Walk Joe actually pleaded guilty not too long ago and was sentenced to five years. So then we had episode six, that was an ID theft gang in Florida, and that was your gang of ladies that uh, used the tax refund fraud scheme. Well, and that, that was, was that time. was
1: interesting because that was the first of many episodes where the tax fraud scheme came up. We'll get into that in a bit, but that would they were kind of the OGs, at least in terms of our, our episodes.
0: And then episode seven, we had swatting payback in Maryland. That was a case about two individuals that were pissed off at each other. So they swatted each other and it was in my state of Maryland. And it was not necessarily a deadly swatting like we had earlier in episode two, but it was still a, um, it was a pretty interesting case to look at. And then we had in episode eight, our first law enforcement case. We called it stalking behind a badge in Louisville, Kentucky. And I, this is where our cases start to get really crazy. Now, Slushygate. this is when, slushy this gate. is slushy gate. And then there was stalking of women. And then there was sending videos in uniform, doing sexual things, a whole bunch of stuff that just went off the deep end. And so all those one through eight, they were very serious crimes. So we took a break and we talked about the rebate Kingpin of rural Michigan in episodes nine. And this is old Urban old legend. school.
1: Urban legend. Yeah,
0: old, old school technology of using a printing calculator. And we'll talk more about that a little later on. And probably one of my favorite episodes just because it was the first episode that included a lot of stuff that wasn't electronic crime, but it was made it very, very interesting. Was episode 10, Threesomes and Hitmen. And this is a two-part episode where Dr. Shitbag Ronald Ilg tried to hire someone to hurt a fellow doctor that he thought wronged him, and then also tried to hire a hitman to do a bunch of stuff to his ex wife drug her, hurt her, teach her to drug herself just a whole bunch of stuff we're going to get on. We're definitely going to get into in this episode because it's one of my favorite episodes. Episodes 11 was The Man Behind the Curtain, and this was another two-part episode of Michael Mann doing some pretty extravagant fraud in order to make millions and millions of dollars. But let's not forget about Luke Steiner because that's really who the episode was about because Luke Steiner helped Michael Mann make millions of dollars and only made $11,000 in Amazon gift cards, believe it or not. Then we had episode 13 credit fixers for hire. And this is a pretty interesting episode in that it took advantage of the 2008 economic crisis and it tried to help people fix their credit, but it wasn't your legitimate credit fixing business. They actually involve some police officers in there to fake some police reports to say, Hey, All this bad credit, not me, stolen identity. So that was a pretty interesting scheme that they had going on in that one. Episode 14 was a doctor sells out. And this is Dr. Ilario, who literally sent his patients to a pharmaceutical representative to peddle tons of medicine that they didn't need.
1: That's one of my favorite episodes because... It's also similar in some regards to a Steiner, I would say, um, in a different way, and uh, really like some, it's one of those ones where if this happened to you, you would be like, wait a second, this this happened? Uh, and that one, I think, frankly, the people involved got off for orderly light because a lot of laws are broken on that one, and a lot of ethics were really broken on that one, too. We'll get to that one. That's a, I love that one
0: episode 15 the fake prisoner charity indigent inmates and this is this was an interesting twist it was a criminal who took advantage of criminals in prison by sending literature that looked like legit charity to help prisoners in their legal cases he asked for personal information and then took that personal information and went and monetized it (laughs)
1: <laughs> yet another yet another IRS tax fraud as well. Um, I actually learned something this year and that that is a very, apparently very common method to, I guess, cash in on uh, on cybercrimes is to use the IRS. We'll go into that.
0: So episode 16 was Ubiquity Insider and this was Nicholas Sharp who not only stole data from his company Ubiquity and then he took that data He took that instance and made it look like an attacker from the outside did it and tried to ransom it, extort his company. But then his company didn't know it was him yet. He sat in on all the investigations (laughs) when they were trying to investigate who it was, which is, you know, it happens actually probably more than you would think with insiders. But it's that's the mind blowing part of that case, in my opinion. Then we had episode 17, which is three officers and three schemes. And this is primarily identity theft scheme, three different officers. They get their information. One of them was department of correction intake lists. The other two were this identification database that has all the driver's license in it.
1: All three were cops though. Right. And they all had different methods to do it. But again, more tax fraud.
0: And one of the officers did it for almost nothing. Yeah, we'll get
1: to that. That's uh he pulled the Steiner in his own right. for Sure. We'll get to that one.
0: And we're almost done here. Episode 18, Anthony Boo Boo Gosha, his ID theft scheme or his ID theft ring, depends on how you want to look at it. But he had, so we've talked about all these tax fraud cases up to this point and they were decent size. This one was massive just massive there was seven thousand tax refund returns there were there was like an army of women helping Anthony Boo Boo Gosha the third in the background get all this stuff done and they were working to the tune of nineteen to twenty million dollars in refunds which is just a huge huge number.
1: And just as an aside, I don't know if you went through this Keith, but when I read that case Throughout the case, they kept referring to him as different names. He was Anthony, he was Boo Boo, he was Goshen. I felt like my parents watching a movie 20 years ago where they're like, who is that guy? And you're like, no, that's the same guy. And I'm like, I don't understand. And that's kind of how I felt a little while until I realized, no, he was the kingpin. It's all one dude. Uh, I mean, you know, in terms of the name, it was very funny. I felt very old.
0: Yeah, and he definitely, he was the kingpin, but you saw the ladies under him, which would
1: you know, ranking in
0: the criminal organization wise, they weren't as high as him, but they did just some, just absolute crazy stuff from even bribing United States postal employees to get checks. it's just, it was crazy. So the last one that we had before this episode was a couple who cyber together faces charges together. This was a couple that not only, well, he cyber his ex-wife. And it was really, really bad. But then later on, he has a new significant other that adds to the craziness of cyber-stalking his ex-wife. And then you say, oh, that's horrible. The poor ex-wife. Well, doesn't stop there. They then start stalking and harassing police officers, judges, pretty much anybody that would cross them. Yeah, they and were what we through-
1: call, the technical term is out of control. And um, this was way beyond cyber stalking because this had real world impacts to people and uh you know there's it's it's a very both episodes are very long because of how much crazy was involved and um it's really the culmination of the season because you have a potential new king shitbag we'll get to that um but and you know just the quality of the people here you know these were not morons who um, well, might have in terms of, you know, lack of education or lack of a career or, you know, these are people that are professionals that should have been held to a much higher standard. So that kind of, for me, uh, really increased the crazy. So we'll get into that one, too. Um, But yeah, thanks, Keith. It's a great rundown of what I think looks like a pretty cool first season.
0: I think I missed one. I think I missed one when I was rolling down the page. Did I say episode 12? You missed episode 12. I was secrets. thinking
1: about it and maybe I thought I sp- I, I uh, spaced for a minute. That's also one of my favorite episodes.
0: Yeah, me too. So episode 12, I'm sorry I missed it. It was Spies and Naval Nuclear Secrets in Annapolis, Maryland, which is my hometown. And that was two parts. And that was one of the craziest electronic spy stories that you're going to hear about because... They do dead drops that you would say, hey, that's a plot in a movie. But nope, nope, that was real. That was real life. And they actually tried it because you pretty much, I assume that they Googled spy stuff and then
1: tried it. For those of you who want the real world, well, the real world example, that is a real world example. The movie Hollywood version of that is uh, the very good Coen Brothers movie, Burn After Reading, which if you haven't seen it, it's got Clooney in it and Brad Pitt. And it's hilarious. It's people who think that they're acting as spies and don't know what they're doing and this is seriously very very similar in so many ways. Um yeah, so Keith and I had a lot of running jokes this season and uh we've kind of figured we'd give you a quick rundown of them uh more based upon who kind of came up with them.
0: Yeah, so I want to just give you a little bit of lay of the land cuz we crack these jokes almost every episode now and I want to let you know where they came from in case you didn't go back and listen to these episodes and some them come back from pretty early, you know. Joked about Andrea as a and my relationship. Andrea is my wife, joked about our relationship a lot. She she beats me, but don't tell her that. Um, one of the first running jokes that I thought was hilarious was Pat the Bat in episode three, Violence as a Service with Pat the Bat. And there was this video taken of pat the bat and his buddy that are trying to firebomb this victim and they just royally fuck it up they're supposed to light i assume they're supposed to light this bottle and throw it through the window and unfortunately catch this house on fire but they light the bottle it hits the side of the house and it goes all over the ground and they're just in there sounded like Beavis and Butthead and I have the video
1: for you and we're gonna
0: play it now. Unless you, do you, want, do you want to set it up any more than that, Seth?
1: So for me, the Pat the Bat video was really the closest thing I've seen to a Beavis and Butthead uh, in real life and um, from the whole commentary about what they were about to do to the thing they tried to do to the utter failure of what they tried to do, it really just did a great job of encapsulating what a dickhead Pat the Bat is. Plus his name, self self-created is pat the bat I don't, I don't even know how to i mean it's both brilliant and so stupid at the same time i love it uh let's show the video
0: all right here it is oh god Oh god, it's like, you know, and what was his? I don't know if it was Pat or his buddy, but was like, pick it up. Yes, it's all burning <laughs> on the ground. Pick it up and throw it through the window.
1: But it's like they've never seen fire before. They're like, oh, fucking light it, light it like, like a fire was the most amazing thing they've ever seen. I loved it. It's uh, it's very very amusing, and it never ceases to cause me fits of laughter, which is really the ultimate compliment to it. Yep.
0: All right, so some other running jokes here. We had Doctor Shitbag Ilg. Oh, I use I use this one in my personal life too. I don't what? use I obviously don't use the the subject matter, but I use the joke in my personal life, which is Sex Escrow, because he had an email in there where he was paying the hitman, but one of the conditions on his payment, especially getting the bonus was his ex-wife had to have sex with him X amount of times and Y Three amount times. of days.
1: Three times Three a week. Three times? About that. What's funny about that is, and I'll go into this, not only was the request a part of a larger set of very specific granular requests, But that he thought that he could pull that off like yeah after uh she goes through this terrible ordeal she'll be into doing that right that's probably high on her list is to have sex with her husband whether she knew that he was the cause of her uh you know kidnapping and drug induced paranoia or not the whole thing to me was just so funny
0: yeah so if you haven't listened to that episode basically the husband wants a hitman to kidnap his ex-wife drug her and then teach her how to drug herself and then part of the bonus is then she has to have sex with the well, doctor she have to drop
1: all the charges and not get divorced and then he has she has to come running back to him and when she's back with him she needs to be able to have sex with him three times a week. And the backup for him is if she doesn't do that, he'll release the videos that they were supposed to take of her drugging herself, letting the courts know that she's clearly a drug addict. So it was very, very, this is a guy that's, by the way, a very high end doctor. Um, and I don't mean a PhD, like a medical doctor. He's a neonatologist. That guy went through a lot of school and probably made a lot of money. So um, all reasons why we escalated him to um, from Mr. to Dr. Shitbag.
0: So the uh, sex escrow comes from his payment to the hitman regarding this sexual uh, mission for his bonus. And he put his money in an escrow. And Seth and I, ever since, we've just been calling it sex escrow. So one of the weird things about that one, too, was the ex-wife or someone that purporting to be the ex-wife contacted us on YouTube. She did. Which was pretty
1: interesting. I felt like I was talking to a celebrity. Well, I didn't talk to her. Too, uh, all this.
0: All this is episode 10, by the way. Yeah, um, we'll get into that. There is another running joke that we have of frozen yellow milk, and this was episode number nine, I believe. Rebake Kingpin. Which was the kingpin feeding her children milk that she froze she'd buy a ton of milk on sale and then the kids couldn't drink it all so she'd freeze it but it was this whole milk and it would freeze horribly and look turn yellow and just look disgusting if you were a child trying to drink this thing that was thawing, and so yeah we had a we we joked a lot about that and we had the kingpin laugh i actually have the kingpin laugh let's see
1: the record, <laughs> Jones likes that one more than I do, but okay.
0: Yeah, I guess you got to know the kingpin. And one last one before I turned over here to Seth was my sister-in-law. Oh, Jesus had to be somewhere around episode two or three who came to me and said, McDonald's won't stop calling me tall flamingo because my niece, her daughter, set up her fast food app. To tall Famingo. That's her name, Tall Famingo. So they literally call her at these fast food restaurants, and they're like Tall Famingo. And she's like, Yep, yep, that's me.
1: Yes, I am. So some of the ones we had, there was a early episode where Dr. Jones was showing off his technical chops by explaining what a sim card is, and uh ended up putting one, they're very small on the tip of his finger. And when we were preparing for the episode, he said, what do you think about that picture? I said, your finger looks crusty in that picture. And uh, we just had a laugh on that one. Um, And one episode, uh, I try to let my family know when I'm podcasting, so they try to leave me alone. But we have a lot of people coming and going here and always a lot going on. So I was told I needed to come up immediately. It was important. I'm like, oh, my God. okay." so I pause and I run upstairs and. One of my wife's friends is like running for a position on like the school board, and she wanted me to sign a petition. And I was like so annoyed, I'm, like really, that's what was so important that I couldn't wait. So I, I let Jones know my uh, displeasure with that by saying this was some domestic bullshit right there, and uh, it really tickled Jones' funny bone. And uh, that has been a running joke. One of my and f- I saved re- it. Yes, well I saved I think it. We I can play it. it. Hold on. Sorry, I'm upside top. That's some domestic bullshit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I was legitimately annoyed. Um, one of my favorite parts of these of these uh, e crime bite episodes um, is, you know, we try to keep them amusing and or try to find the funny in them. Our lives are hard, work is hard, parenting is hard. Um, so if we're going to be talking about stuff, let's have some amusement. So not that we take too much pleasure in people's um, problems, but if you're going to participate actively in a crime where you're netting people millions of dollars you should at least get some level of compensation for your time, especially if you're going to be doing time. And in one of the episodes, uh, this basic person, I think was the fulcrum to allow fraud to happen where one half of the pie got you know millions of dollars. This, this fucking guy got $11,000 over like seven years in Amazon gift cards, and I'm doing a lot of time. And uh, the guy's last name was Steiner, so our running joke is don't, don't be a Steiner, which is another way of saying don't be a tool, um, which led to an award we're gonna get to in a little bit. Uh, Keith, why don't you take the next few?
0: Yeah, so we get to the Annapolis Spies and I was amazed that they must've Googled something online because they took a card with a memory card, and put it in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and put peanut it a strap. Peanut butter only.
1: It's peanut butter only. I double-checked it. And the reason why I double-checked it is you're assuming everybody likes peanut butter and jelly. I certainly do. But of my children, only one of them likes peanut butter and jelly. The other two only prefer peanut butter sandwiches, which is kind of weird in my opinion. But in the uh, Spies Like Us scenario, they were actually, at least the court documents indicated, it was only a peanut butter sandwich, not peanut butter and jelly.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So they did that. They put it in a band aid container and another one. And I, I'm forgetting what the third one was, but they're all ridiculous. But as amazing as that episode was, the most amazing thing came after we published that episode. And, you know, I've got my neighbors, and my friends on Facebook, and I published these things on Facebook. And one of my neighbors said, well, I should back up. I live in Annapolis. So, this is local to me. They, The wife worked at a school right around the corner from where I live. So when I posted this, one of my neighbors, who's obviously this is local to them too, wrote me this story, and it was absolutely fucking beautiful of how he was invited over there for dinner one night, and the wife was incredibly drunk to the point where she fell down the stairs. And other times, her husband, who... And there's nothing against it with LARP in his front yard, but not just LARP, but LARP, and then kind of look around to see who would be watching his LARPing, which is Keith, the point that's the what point LARPing
1: is for those who don't know what LARPing is
0: live action role-playing. So it's kind of like dressing up as a medieval warrior with swords and swinging them in your front yard and just stuff that you drove by. You go, that's a little
1: strange. Yeah, I think it's a lot strange.
0: Couple others, Shabazz working with his four wives at indigent.
1: I'm sorry. How many wives did he have?
0: Four, four. He worked with his four wives at indigent inmates. They're all in on the scheme together. So I don't know. I, I have trouble just working with my own wife around the house, not working, working, but just like around the house. I couldn't imagine working professionally as your job with your wife. He had four of them. And then if you just say, okay, that's a lot of work right there. They were successful. They did a good job when they're crying. They made a lot of money. So they worked well together, which was just, it was amazing. That was an episode that you need to go back and listen to. And then if you, Kinda take a tangent off of Steiner and you say, Wow, that Steiner guy only made eleven thousand dollars in Amazon gift cards and threw his whole career away and went to prison. Sucked for him. Well, there was an officer, Vital Frederick, who got a payout for one thousand, I want to say it was three or four hundred dollars. So just over a thousand. yeah, yeah. For identity theft. So he would provide identities through a law enforcement only database that he would capture and pay this informant and this informant i'm sorry i didn't pay the informant he would give the informant the names and the informant would pay him the informant was working for the fbi so obviously officer frederick was caught in this thing but the big thing was is he threw his career away for less than two thousand dollars and i couldn't think of hardly any career that would be worth throwing i someone
1: to say to you you know, how much money would you have to get to, you know, lose your job, lose your career? He's probably thinking, you know, millions of dollars, you know, at a small number. So uh, this one was, I mean, it's funny, it's not funny for him. Um, but it's funny. Uh, and this also brought up a term that I've never heard of. Uh, this gives me, you know, no street cred whatsoever. But I remember asking Jones, I'm like, what, what is that? And we had to look it up. But we learned. And what was that term? Well.
0: You had to look it up. I told you what it was. So it stacks stacks is a thousand dollars stacks is a thousand dollars technically. And that was in the core paperwork, but I will tell you just from my music knowledge, Seth bands like B a N D S it's alternative to stacks. You might hear both of those being dropped. Both mean a thousand dollars.
1: Yeah. I mean, I understand stacks relates to money. I didn't know there was a direct monetary correlation. I stand corrected. Um, Yeah. Yeah, At I, least I in mean, street lingo. we are in street lingo. So the last couple, real quick, uh, we talked about Anthony Boo Boo Gosha in episode 18, I think, um, and his merry ba- uh, gang of ladies. But I love that they ended up bribing because their scheme kind of got sideways. So they had to go a different route and ended up having to work with... Uh, basically to use the Postal Service. So they ended up having to bribe the Postal Service, which I guess is probably the most easily believable part of that story. I don't know. I don't know too many people in the Postal Service. But, I mean, they're civil servants. They're part of the U.S. government. They take an oath. I don't know. Um, We'll get to that one. And then the last one, Jason Lydell. You know, uh, the couple that cyber stalks together, does time together or faces charges together. They're going to do time. Um, But uh, I always thought, you know, there's a lot of documentation from the court of the different emails and documents that he spoofed. And almost all of them are comically full of errors in spelling. And at first I'm like, wow, how clever this guy was to make it seem like somebody else wrote them and that he, you know, would make it seem like the person who wrote them was a terrible speller. And Jones is like, no, you idiot. He's just stupid. I'm like, oh. oh, okay. He's just a terrible speller and a terrible grammar. Good to know. Um, so we thought that was funny. Here, okay.
0: here, here. He could never, ever use here correctly. He could never use there correctly. It was, and, it, and it was like, I could put an email in front of you. By the time you got maybe a half an hour into our episode, I could put a random email in front of you and say, who sent this, Sarah Sorg or Jason Lydell? And you could pick out, the misspellings in there and go oh that's definitely jason jason definitely wrote this
1: one it'd be something like if you were to like give like a document to like an eight-year-old an average eight-year-old maybe less seven-year-old and say you know get your pronouns wrong and so that that's what you would expect um but it's much worse than that anyway okay so we key part of this you know this podcast is that it's e-crime bites so we often and we start every episode with the technology that was used to commit the crime so we thought we'd give you a quick review of the technology hopefully you know for those who actually want to learn something from this uh this podcast we can run through that with you as a note if you go to our website um much of this is available uh jones was kind enough to create an amazing glossary and as we went forward in time in the season we kept adding to the glossary i would say that's the glossary so um let's start with a couple here so mobile phones very common, very ubiquitous is uh, using criminal. But the key thing with the mobile phones are unless that mobile phone is utterly destroyed or forensically wiped, law enforcement can get a lot of information off of your mobile phone, especially if it's connected to a network. Uh, so we got into some of that SIM cards. So part of the crusty Finger joke, SIM cards obviously are basically Jones with the memory chip of a mobile phone. Would you say that's a fair way to describe it? Yeah, um,
0: it's the identity once you put it in right that takes a phone number and associates it with that physical phone right and it's so just a little chip
1: the sim cards tied to the crime which will get you below of sim cards swapping which is a great way to steal someone's identity um cryptocurrency so cryptocurrency is interesting because during the season we saw the value of cryptocurrency plummet so- Um, But moreover, cryptocurrency has and remains apparently the currency of choice among thieves and criminals. But what's weird about it is it was specifically designed, if I understand the blockchain and crypto, to associate directly with the person who holds the value. So like any other crime, if you follow the money, you'll still eventually figure out who the asshole is. So we saw much of that. But crypto was definitely a consistent. So, for example, Dr. Shitbag Ild. Uh, attempted to pay for his hitman's um, services via crypto. Also, I think uh, a lot of the earlier episodes we did, the actual crime was in stealing people's uh, cryptocurrency. Um, We heard a lot about online accounts, social media specifically. Uh, Twitter was uh, uh, specifically discussed at length in episode four on the Twitter hack. But uh, we also learned that there are specific Values associated with certain Online accounts and we'll get into That in a bit uh, We learned about a certain kind of chat server called Discord which is really for online Communities or friends groups uh, Many of them are invitation only Often used by games as social media influencers A key episode, I remember which one it was Jones where uh, the Discord Entire server, chat server Was hacked <laughs> So people who were committing crimes Had their criminal chats Hacked which I thought was interesting Um, Oh, you're you're thinking
0: of um, uh, OG users, the OG users forum. That was the one that was hacked. And the law enforcement used that to basically piece together these, these stories of what all these criminals were doing, which is just fucking amazing. Yeah. All right. So let's talk more about some of these technology. We have phone GPS. So in one of our episodes, which was Pat the Bat, we talked about how there was GPS enabled. So that way later on when investigators wanted to say who was around this residence when someone clumsily threw a burning bottle of mad dog 2020 through somebody's window. That's been
1: one of the running jokes, mad dog.
0: Oh yeah, it is mad dog. And then He, we didn't show you the video, but he was also involved in the shooting. They shot in a window of a house when people were sleeping and luckily nobody was hurt, but they shot it up. And in both cases, they left the phone GPS on. So later on the investigators could go, Hey, look at the commonality here. There's this guy. They didn't know his name was Pat the bat, but let's just say Pat the bat. He was over here at this time, 15 minutes prior and seven minutes after this crime. And he's over here 20 minutes prior and 45 minutes after. So, you know, they start connecting the dots and um, that becomes a great piece of evidence. We talked about cloud accounts. We talked about iCloud for you Apple folks. We talked about Google drive. There's cloud accounts for pretty much anything. Those two are storage. We There's cloud accounts for, um, even, even some of these chat servers that we talked about, those are considered quote unquote cloud accounts, Personally identifiable information, PII. We talk about this a lot because this is the term that gets associated with identity theft. What are people stealing? PII personally identifiable information. Usually PII is it's a collection of things so in my case it might be keith jones you know my first name my last name but then add to it my birth date that's another piece of information add to that my social security number maybe it's an account number somewhere else and you start adding this together and collectively that's the pii that people will use for identity fraud
1: yeah and we'll hear how that was kind of the key and like i said i noted that um usually you need multiple pieces of pii to kind of really Uh, cause some damage anyway um phishing which is the fraudulent practice of sending emails or other messages purporting fraudulently of course to be from reputable companies Uh, the idea is to induce an individual to reveal their personal information like their password or their credit card Uh, we saw that Uh, vishing which is very similar but that's usually doing the same thing via a phone call or leaving a voice message um typically it's from a bank uh, or, or a financial institution law enforcement specific databases so we heard about this a few times so you know the idea is the type of data is PII right and you'd think they'd be secure because you know only cops can actually access them but you can imagine you know the police have access to a lot of databases whether it's license plate numbers or people who have been arrested or probably more stuff than you might realize um directly inside the DMV uh, and you know if they are actually ever going to be corrupted and they are going to be willing to sell that level of PII, a lot of damage can occur from them and we've seen that that was specifically uh, episodes 8 and episode 17 um, slushy gate in Kentucky and then one of the later episodes three officers three schemes which we'll talk about later
0: so in episode 9 which for some strange re- reason I have a very personal connection to Rebate Kingpin. We talked about a printing calculator. Well, it was in the 80s. So, a printing calculator was pretty goddamn fancy back in the 80s because it wasn't just your numbers. It printed off alphabets too, which was the power of this calculator to look like receipts because there was a lot of rebate fraud. There was a lot of child labor. Free child labor was never paid for. Think. You know that Indiana Jones episode with all those kids? Think about that, except two kids in Michigan, and that's what we're talking about here. And there was a dot matrix printer as well later on in those crimes for mailing labels. Now, another piece of technology we talked about a lot in a bunch of different episodes is the dark web. And if you missed it, the dark web is not where you usually go with your normal web browsers. You need a special web browser that uses a certain type of encryption in order to get on this special network, which is called, it's, it's where the dark web is. Now we talked about this in violence as a service with Pat the Bat, but we also talked about it with Dr. Ilg because. On the dark web, you can pretty much get anything you want. If you have the right money, you can buy drugs there. You can buy violence, you can buy guns, you can buy pretty much anything that you can imagine on the black market. How do you buy that? Well, cryptocurrency. So there's pluses and minuses to cryptocurrency. There's the whole, you know, decentralized banking and all that for good purposes, but then the way the cryptocurrency is tracked is a little more anonymous than your traditional banking accounts so attackers will use them to pay for things like drugs on the dark web or they'll pay for things like violence on the dark web because it's a little more difficult to track back than say a paper check that i write with you know the name keith or even or even cash that I have to go get from a bank account, you know, $10,000 in cash, that would be something that somebody may
1: notice too. But if you follow the money, you can still usually find your criminal.
0: Yeah, there are techniques for investigation with uh, cryptocurrency that we did talk about in several of our episodes that led them to the people that got it, got the proceeds. Right. And some other electronic communications, just email, iMessage. On um, our episode 11 of My Role, My Payroll HR, most of the crime, I'd say 90% plus of the crime was committed just using email. And probably 5% of it was committed over iMessage. And maybe the last 5% of it was committed over telephone. So it was a very Low-tech, they didn't need high-tech tools in order to pull off that fraud case.
1: Yeah, and then the last couple, um, there was an episode, I think it was the last episode of actually, no, there was more than a few, falsifying electronic documents, right? It's, you know, if you have the right tools, not terribly hard to do. And, um, you know, without the forensics involved, it would be very hard to prove or disprove. Um, Electronic nuclear submarine secrets, obviously referring to episode 12, our spies and naval nuclear secrets in Annapolis matter. Uh, That one was unique because it was so specific um, and obviously kind of scary if you think about, you know, what was attempted to being uh, sold, although it turns out it was really more of an entrapment situation. Um, but, you know, that case also brought up some other interesting technologies. It talked about encryption, which is a thousands of year old method of uh, protecting data. And a specific thing I'd never heard of before called Proton Mail, which is a secure messaging service out of Geneva, which is pretty heavy duty, which is one of the more interesting things that um, our uh, dynamic duo there was involved in. Plus, a peanut butter sandwich, which was technically used to uh, commit the fraud. And the crime, so I'm considering that a, uh, a technology.
0: I want to say proton mail. I think Nicholas Sharp used it in the Ubiquity case too, it, for his ransom, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, it could have been um, credit reports, which was part of episodes 13 on credit fixers for hire, which was very. We'll talk about that one later. It was a very interesting and frankly ingenious use. Of, uh, of PII and, and credit reports as a crime. And we'll talk about that later. And then um, false police reports, which also ties to episode 13 in an effort to, I guess, basically enforce the idea that there was um, a uh, identity theft in order to get money back that should never be given back. So uh, we'll get to that as well. Keith, okay, let's run through the last few here.
0: Yep, we got in episode 14, a doctor, Dr. Elario, who had medical records, and this episode we call it A Doctor Sells Out because Dr. Ilario allows a sale, a pharmaceutical sales representative just free reign of his office and his patients in order to sell them drugs that they don't need at the beginning, and then later on they all kind of work together to... Prescribe stuff that they, they even know that they don't need. And they probably don't even take, they just do it for money. This was faxes and emails. So it wasn't all that complex, but that's what that's where that's the state of medical records, at least in the point of this case, personally identifiable information. Now this was big in episode 15, which is the fake prisoner charity, because what happened was there was a collection attempt and success on thousands of prisoners to get their personally identifiable information under the pretense of providing legal help for their cases. And then what do they do? They did what we see happen over and over in all these cases that Seth and I have talked about. When they have IDs, they go out there and they do electronic tax filings. They do fraudulent ones on these IDs and they make, you know, two, one, two, three thousand dollars at a time on each identity that they are able to send a false return to the IRS for. This one, they netted 12 million in fraudulent refunds, which was quite a bit of money. We saw cloud services used in episode 16, which is the Ubiquity Insider, and this was Nicholas Sharp. And specifically we saw AWS, which is Amazon Web Services, which is a backbone to a lot of services on the internet. Cloud services, I can't even give you, I can't say they do this one thing because they do so many things. So you can imagine chat services are built on things like AWS cloud services. There are storage mechanism for videos built on it anything you can imagine websites data websites databases all that stuff is built on things like amazon web services now specifically nerds like myself when we code source code we save it somewhere in the case of episode 16 it was saved in a repository online called github g-i-t-h-u-b Now, when Nicholas Sharp, the criminal in this case, went out there and stole ubiquity shit, that was a technical term that we coined in that episode, (laughs) but when he was out there stealing their shit, he used something called Surfshark VPN and VPN stands for virtual private network. And it's what attackers typically use to try to cover their tracks because it hides this thing called an IP address, which is this computerized number of what their computer is on the internet and this ip address can a lot of times be associated with a physical geographical address and that's what police officers will use at the end of the day you get an ip address you say oh it could be that cable modem in that person's house and you go raid it right well a vpn takes that ip address and makes it look like it's somewhere else makes it look like it's in sweden makes it look like it's out of brazil somewhere you are not so that way it makes it difficult for the attackers and that's what nicholas sharp did in episode number 16 several episodes had electronic tax filing too many to count i couldn't i'd have to it'd take me a while to sit here and say this one this one this one because it seemed like if somebody stole ID information, the easiest way to monetize it was to make fraudulent tax returns because the returns were usually pretty big, meaning over a thousand dollars at a time, a little small. and you could well, big in the fact that you have one person's name and you can make like $2,000 off that one person's name, big per person.
1: Yeah. I thought you That's meant the amount. To the amount was real well, but from a tax return perspective, You know, I mean, most people don't even have to file taxes unless you make a minimum of a, you know, 10 or $15,000 in the U.S. I think. So, you know, for someone to get a return of, you know, $1,000 is de minimis for the IRS.
0: But for the criminal using one person's name and making one to $3,000 on each person's name. And let's say you have 200 names, you're making a lot of money. And that, that was my point is for per person, the criminal is making a lot of money, but sure. On the other side of it, Seth, what you're saying is the IRS is no isn't noticing it because it looks so small with the IRS. So that's why it worked. Yeah. Uh episode 19, the couple who cyber stalks together and faces charges together. This guy used email like you wouldn't believe, but specifically spoofing me. Anybody that pissed him off, he would spoof an email, probably throw some racist terms in there.
1: Oh, uh, it was awful. Probably I, mean, I had to read them. It was awful. <laughs>
0: And and send it to people that you know make it look like it was you and send it to somebody else, or would spoof emails complaining about you, and then have other spoofed emails about you in there. It was just absolutely insane. And then there was this court-mandated child custody messaging system, and you would say, Oh, well, it's court mandated, so it must be protected. Nope. Nope. The criminal in this case he hacked his ex-wife's account in there and started using that spoofed messages and then we had text messages we had not just text messages we had spoofed text messages with a bunch of racist shit sent to cops and that was pretty much i think what sent the ball rolling that caught the criminals in this case because all the spoof stuff it happened to cops too
1: yeah so that was the technology and in a you know the cousin of that would be well what crimes were committed so if you recall we started each episode after the technology we would talk about well what crimes were committed so we're trying to try to consolidate it here uh and then let's kind of move forward here so uh sim why and this is kind of sort of in order of uh, the episodes but you'll see some of them are repeated sim swapping right so why is that a crime because what you know you're swapping a SIM card without the owner's permission and in furtherance of a crime, you're definitely triggering several crimes, right? Identity theft, not theft of personal property, and then usually you're, you know, allowing um, theft of cryptocurrency or other funds, you know, through that. Uh, unauthorized access to victims or users' social media online accounts. And uh, we learned that why certain social media account usernames are so valuable. So if, you know, if somebody Let's say, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about it, you know. Let's say you're you're on Twitter, you want New York State, that one's gonna be pretty good, you know, things like that. So very short ones, California.gov, ca.gov, things that are really short are super valuable. So we had an episode about people trying to uh, try to hijack those or, or take them on. Theft of funds. First few episodes were really basically about stealing people's cryptocurrency, the, uh, and that was interesting because that's actually what it's designed to uh, avoid. Swatting, which came up a few times, which is one of those things where you kind of scratch your head and you're like, that's not a big deal. And then you realize it is a big deal because A, somebody died from it in one of our cases, but realize what an asshole and yet so simple thing it is to do. You don't like your neighbor, take a random cell phone and say that they need EMS or they need there's a fire at their house and they run over there because you know the civil servants have to respond to that. And it turns out you just wasted a ton of time and uh, taxpayer money and efforts. And it's really kind of a terrible thing to do. So we saw swatting, um, and for those who don't know, that means, yeah, you're calling emergency services or law enforcement to someone's house and a false pretense or run a stolen ID situation. Keith, you want to take the next few?
0: Yeah, I'll mention something in relation to that swatting, too. We have a little brother to swatting that we saw in our last episode, and I don't even know if we have a term for it, but it's basically using child protective services against an ex. Yeah. And it point. sort of works the same way where you go, Hey, uh, my kids say that my ex is sexually molesting them. And then CPS, like the police, you know, they take that stuff seriously and they go do an investigation. And it makes it hell for the other person on the other side if they're not actually doing what it is they're being accused of. Um, and we saw that and it's, it's the same type of weapon. It's just a different agency involved. Yeah. So some other crimes... Violent crimes. We saw shootings. Thank God we didn't see anybody actually shot. But we saw shootings into a house. We saw a really bad firebombing that did a lot of damage to the house. It actually did catch the the house on fire on the side. Fucking light it, man! Fucking light it! Fucking
1: light it! Fucking light it!
0: We saw tons and tons of IRS fire, false IRS filings, and you're like, Keith, what do you mean tons? i will tell you in one episode the gosha episode one criminal crew filed over seven thousand false returns it's fairly <laughs> epic is, epic that is so so many returns i i don't even like filing one for myself i don't know how they did thousands
1: well that's just that it McDonald's the process it's actually quite impressive imagine they were using that power for good um i also thought each case was interesting because prior to that statistically all the crimes were committed by young white men so this was a a major detour from that
0: yeah in the chronological in the chronology of our episodes that was the first time we deviated from young white men being the criminals in our case so a ton of id theft because you had to in order to do these false irs filing that we told you about we saw unauthorized use of a law enforcement database, and we saw this for stalking purposes, we, first of all, which is scary as hell, because that's the person you should be going to when you're being stalked, but they're the ones stalking you. And we also saw unauthorized use of law enforcement databases to you to monetize the data that's in it in the. Oh, the. Episodes escaping me. Oh, the three officers, three schemes where the officers use law enforcement databases to get personally identifiable information, sell it to people who would then do these tax filings and make more money.
1: Right. So we talked about unauthorized use of online accounts. That's the idea of taking over somebody's, you know, Twitter or their social media account and posting crazy things. Uh, Cyber stalking. So this we see this in various forms across season one, um, including the extortion in episode eight, uh, stalking behind where the officer was extorting victims over nude images, but he shared his own pic, um, which was just kind of a you know good for the goose, good for the gander thing. Uh, we also saw the unauthorized use of. A slushie? Um, A fantastic example of the Louisville Metro PD professionalism. Uh, Several videos, sorry, several police officers were involved in slushy Gate several times using unmarked cars, so what they would do is the police officers would stalk victims and offer language like, that family or that person looks thirsty and then they would wing a slushie at them, videotape the whole encounter and drive away, which is entertaining to the fact that you're thinking, wow, people still do that. That's fucking stupid. And you know, like, well, those are cops that are doing it. And, um, it's just kind of, you know, really that's what the cops are doing in Louisville. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's get to the last couple here. Keith. actually it's more than a couple.
0: Yep. We saw rebate fraud in the rebate Kingpin. We saw child labor law violations. We saw not illegal, but it should be just general douchey behavior fraud for free plane tickets where this kingpin would buy a bunch of clothes at a store, get free plane tickets for them, and then basically return the clothes later on, and then just keep the ticket. Very, very douchey. One of my favorite episodes, just because it was, it didn't sound real, was the episode 10, which was Dr. Ilg, Conspiracy to Commit Violence, was the big one. The violence against a former coworker wanted to break the coworkers hands and you would go, Oh my God, that sounds horrible. But the coworker was a doctor. So breaking their hands is as bad as you think it is, but would also end that person's career. They, that was what they did. And then he didn't stop there. He did the same types of things with his ex-wife. He wanted to drug her and set her up in a sex escrow and all sorts of shit. Kidnapping was the big one in there. Um, he wanted the hitman to kidnap her. And then once kidnapped her, he had a whole laundry list of stuff that he had to do to, that the kidnapper had to do to her, which was become addicted to drugs. And I still, this is, this is why I quote unquote say this is my favorite episode because he expected the kidnappers to drug his ex-wife and then teach her how to keep drugging herself. It's just, I I, I still can't wrap my head around that episode seven which was the michael t Mann case there was a ton of fraud in there and i'm gonna let you take that one seth
1: uh yeah i mean so that's a guy that had a very complicated web of companies essentially operating a big ponzi scheme um and uh, we'll get into that a little later in a little more detail uh but he had set up he, had set, he was the owner of several companies, set, a, uh, set up a scheme where he would file false invoices. And then he used the fake invoices as loan collateral for millions of dollars. And then he used those fraudulent loans and the lines of credit to pay those false invoices to his other own companies. So he thought he was being super slick. It took a while for the uh, authorities to kind of get wind of this. Um, but that was uh that's a case where we literally had to give a, uh, a visual of kind of how the fraud operated, but it was ingenious and incredibly douchey. Um, we saw a case that involved uh, the theft of classified government, military uh, information. That's the uh, episode 12 on submarine secrets. We saw this selling of a uh, United States classified information to other countries of the same uh, episode 13 was the credit fixers where our, our brilliant duo had fraudulent ID theft reports inside a police department and fraudulent disputes on credit reports so basically what they were doing I guess was they would use stolen piI to create a, um, a fraudulent assessed uh, assertion of, of identity theft and then they had bribed police officers to file a police report enforcing yeah yeah I did that really happened here and get their money back um, and they would charge people for this service and uh, it was kind of batshit crazy to me um, anyway uh, let's see here Keith you want to take episodes 14
0: Yep, episode 14 we had a lot of healthcare fraud because a doctor sold his patients out sold them out hard at the beginning I don't Know if they knew they were sold out at the beginning, but somewhere around halfway through the episode in this criminal timeline, the patients definitely knew they were being sold out and they were in on the deal. And there was a ton of healthcare fraud going on between the patients, the representative, the pharmaceutical company, and the doctors. With episode 15, we have indigent inmates. This is filing thousands of fraudulent tax returns with ID theft. So the Shabazz was the person that collected all the inmates' information and filed the false tax returns like we talked about in other episodes. Data theft for Ubiquity on episode 16 was an interesting case because The insider stole the data. So initially in the case, you thought a hacker took the data, but it was actually an insider. So I don't know if you technically would call it data theft. I I guess it is because he was unauthorized to do it, even though he worked there. But then um, he did destruction of evidence. And when I say that, I mean, he turned their logging into a state that it wouldn't continue to keep logs for a long period of time and only keep the last 24 hours in hopes that his criminal activities would just kind of go away. They would just disappear because his he set the logging policies to say only keep the last 24 hours and as long as the investigation happens 24 hours after his last activity. In theory, there should be no logs of it. In episode 17, we had identity theft, more fraudulent IRS tax filings. This is just the biggest bang for the criminal's bucks yeah. when they have stolen IDs. But we did see something that was interesting. We saw a protection for fraudulent check cashing service where a police officer was told, hey, there's a courier coming, has a ton of dirty checks. We want you to protect him. He's going to cash it over here Bye." By the way, did I mention tons of dirty, dirty checks? Yeah, we want your protection. And he did it for almost nothing.
1: Yeah, we'll come back to that issue. Uh, In the last couple here, episode 18 was uh, identity theft and more tax fraud yet again. And here, families work together, like the Michigan rebate kingpin, uh, to steal PII from enlisted military individuals, the uh, Alabama Department of Public Health, and Walmart because they had a check casher business within that Walmart and the people were willing to happily sell out their customers there. In episode 19, possibly our favorite episode, um, a couple of cyberstalks together, basic charges together. I mean, where do we even begin cyberstalking, impersonating an officer, falsifying numerous federal official records, some of which may be classified or secret marijuana usage which is still illegal at the federal level if you're a federal employee uh and note the above crimes do not really articulate the absolute fucking trail of destruction left in from the criminals here and we'll we'll learn more uh in our in our final category here of who was the biggest shitbag
0: this week ran a little longer than we were planning so we're gonna end part one here and come back next week and catch part two of season one wrap up. Thanks. See you then.